0: Our Father, indeed, you have begun a work in us that has given us an appetite to know you more. We, uh, the longer we chase after the things of God, the more we realize there's so much that we don't know. And it's not a matter, Father, of a shortage of information or a, um, an inadequate IQ. It's, a, it's an issue of understanding with our souls what you're like, what you desire and demand. And Father, even to know grace, we all sing about how amazing is grace. We all celebrate that grace has overtaken us and has swept us into the kingdom of God and yet... It is grace that we know so little about. It is the God who refuses to not love us. A God who demanded that sin be paid for. A God who was the just and the justifier. A God who in his presence is found real joy. All of this, oh, oh God, we, we long to know more. We're not here to stuff our brains with more Bible facts. Knowledge puffs up, Father, but it is to know you in a way that only the Holy Spirit can offer. That's why we've come. We've known spurts of that, Lord. We've known times and instances and occasions and periods where we have sensed that we have walked with you more closely, but we long for more of that. So, Father, as we gather for worship, might this hour be something that advances us, not simply in knowing our Bibles better, but knowing the God of our Bibles. Father, um, we continue to be so concerned about the, the condition of our world. There's a lot of people who hate a lot of other people. There's a lot of people who want to shoot and kill and maim and destroy. And, and maybe, Father, maybe you're in that. We n- I know not. But I know this, Father. Men who die outside of Jesus Christ will perish forever. And I pray that you will give us the church of Jesus Christ worldwide an opportunity, greater opportunity, to announce and proclaim the beauties and the excellencies of Jesus Christ. Father, we're not so naive as to think that the the evil one will not continue to sow seeds of discord among nations. But, Father, we want your church to shine. We want her to be a place that, that truth is loved and represented and, and proclaimed, and so use us. Use your people all over the world, Father, wherever they found, where they're found. Use the church in China today to advance the cause of Jesus Christ. Use the church in Iraq to communicate the only hope that men anywhere have, a hope to be found in yielding to the grand and glorious person of Jesus Christ who died in the place of his people. Father, be with our president. Guard him as he makes decisions, decisions that will have ramifications for every person on this globe. And I pray that you will give him good counsel, wise men, and the mind of Christ. Holy Spirit of God, grant that he might think your thoughts after you. And we pray for the same Holy Spirit to to dominate our thoughts as we're in this hour. Father, we long to see you aright. And we ask that while we're here, that we might be led, all of us, both the pew and the pulpit, might, might all be dominated by the sovereign Holy Spirit. Now, Father, we thank you for an opportunity to give. It's our privilege, oh God. It's not that we're filling your coffers, but we're altering our hearts. Thank you for that privilege. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. Grab your Bibles, if you will, and open them with me to the um, 19th chapter of the Gospel of Luke. We'll, of course, return to uh, the series on marriage Uh, after a couple of weeks. We've got some things before us to do first, and then we'll get back to that in October. I'm going to read you a story that I think uh, has been uh, memorialized in a a song that we all learned in, in Sunday school. A story that you probably already know. It's about Zacchaeus. And you follow as I read, beginning at verse 1. Then Jesus entered and passed through Jericho. Now behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus who was a chief tax collector. and He was rich. And he sought to see who Jesus was, but could not because of the crowd, for he was of short stature. So he ran ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him. For he was going to pass that way. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and saw him and said to him, Zacchaeus, make haste and come down. For today I must stay at your house. So he made haste and came down and received him joyfully. When they saw it, they all complained, saying, he is gone to be a guest with a man who is a sinner. Then Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Look, Lord, I give half of my goods to the poor. And if I have taken away have taken anything from anyone by false accusation, I restore fourfold. And Jesus said to him, Today, salvation has come to this house because he also is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man has come to seek and to say that which was lost. And then one verse out of Deuteronomy 8 that I can't help but include. Deuteronomy chapter 8. At verse 18. And you shall remember the Lord your God. For it is he who gives you power to get wealth, that he may establish his covenant, which he swore to your fathers as it is this day. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God endures forever. I read recently in the Commercial Appeal uh, an interesting article about uh, a statistic that was rather alarming, certainly in the African American community was alarming, that 60% of the presidents of all black colleges had resigned in the last 24 months. The reason that they gave for that resignation is because that they were being pressured more and more by their boards to uh, be engaged in fundraising. That is, most of them gave that reason for their resignations. Not all. of them. I feel their pain. Um, but not exactly. Ladies and gentlemen... The board of elders here at Gracie Van never puts any pressure on me whatsoever. Um, but um, wherever preachers or whenever preachers talk about money, there is a measure of suspicion on the part of the, uh, the audience. I'm not exactly sure why, I, I have a hunch. But, uh, not exactly sure, but uh, every preacher that I know feels it. Every preacher that, uh, our or senior pastor who is the head of a, a benevolent organization that uh, lives off of the gifts of people as opposed to prophets, they feel that sense of suspicion. I'll tell you another difference between what's happening in this pulpit and, and what happened in those black colleges is that this is not, to, in any measure, in any way, to be identified with fundraising. Um, the elders of Grace Van would be the first to tell you that uh, I am not accountable to them in this regard. Um, I'm accountable to the same one that they're accountable to. And that we're both accountable to a king. The king of kings, whose name happens to be Jesus, as you know. And in the course of Jesus' ministry, by the sheer frequency of his talks on this subject concerning wealth and money, um, the, the, the implication is that um, you and I will never be the maturing crowd that we otherwise might become unless we settle some issues concerning money. Now, if I could paraphrase this king for a moment, and I I do mean paraphrase, but um, this is something that I think that king teaches. That spiritually, you and I aren't going anywhere or at least we're not going very far until we uh, settle this issue about who is the author of wealth. And that's why I threw this Deuteronomy passage in, ladies and gentlemen. Did you see that? This call to remember uh, that it is he who gives you power to get wealth. So whatever wealth it is that you enjoy, you are given. By God's sovereign grace, you are given power by him to get wealth. And, um, ladies and gentlemen, unless we settle some issues concerning that authorship, we're not going to get too far spiritually. That is, there's not going to be a whole lot of maturation going on, because in this, this process of maturation, in the life of every believer... One of the early foundational, even critical lessons that we must learn, and and not only learn it, but incarnate it, is that you and I have to figure out what is going to be our view of money. Gang, um, let, let me say that again. One of the early and foundational truths that we have to settle in this whole process of maturing and growing as believers is it has to do with money. And and I want to suggest to you that some of the principles surrounding that issue are illustrated for us in this story about Zacchaeus. So let's take a look at Zacchaeus and hopefully will help us settle some issues in our own heart and soul. First of all, let me tell you who he was. Zacchaeus was a wee little man. You know, we learned that song, Zacchaeus was a wee little man, a wee little man. Was he? Well, um, that may or may not have meant that he had other issues, but he definitely had issues uh, in his choice of occupation and vocation. He was a tax collector. A chief tax collector. That is, that he was the boss of other tax collectors. Um, like Matthew. Maybe Matthew's boss. But being a tax collector in that particular area made him, ladies and gentlemen, a traitor. He was a collaborator with a foreign occupying enemy. If you want a, a, uh, a, a good term to summarize who he was, he was a shakedown artist. He was given permission by the Roman government to squeeze as much money out of his own fellow countrymen as he possibly could. That's what he was. Now, maybe his size didn't bring about issues, but ladies and gentlemen, I guarantee you, his his occupation did. Because of his occupation, his countrymen hated him. And I'm convinced, I can't prove this, but I'm convinced that's why he climbed up the tree. I mean, if you're small of stature... All you got to do is press to the front of the crowd. But he climbed up in a tree because he knew that the, he wouldn't be welcome in any kind of audience that, there was, that was gathered there in Jericho. Well, he was a wee little man and he was a tax collector. And um, I want to tell you a little bit about Zacchaeus' view of money. Now, guys, admittedly, this is a bit of speculation. I'm speculating here, but not not a whole lot. Because actually, what I want to share with you is not so much Zacchaeus' view of money, but our view of money. And I'm saying, and I will in a moment say, that his view is probably our view. Because we have a view of money that somehow money is the stuff that will get us in. You know what I mean? It'll get you in, it'll get you in the Lincoln bedroom, it'll get you in Harvard. Do you see that article in the Commercial Appeal about the number of students who had, who had made um, 33 or above on their ACT test and were denied or were turned down and rejected by, by Harvard? But if your daddy's name or even your granddaddy's name is on one of those buildings there at Harvard, you're sure to get in. Uh, Money opens doors no matter how you made it. It doesn't make any difference how you made it. Um, Anybody know how the Kennedys made their money? Look it up. Um, But uh, it doesn't make any difference how you made it. As long as you got it. It's viewed as a medium of power. And um, uh, whether it has that or not, I'll tell you one power it's got. It has the power to seduce. There's a delusional power about money. Because it tells us that it will take us places that it simply cannot take us. It makes promises that it simply cannot keep. Now, what I'm saying, ladies and gentlemen, is that I'm betting that Zacchaeus, because he was hated and because he was an outcast... Uh, He believed that somehow all of that could be made up for by his money. Uh, That he somehow believed that that sense of inner emptiness that he had could be filled by money. And therein lies the seduction. Zacchaeus believed that money could do something for him that money couldn't do for him and he had sold his soul to his enemy uh, because he was hoping that he could convince somebody by his money that he was really a somebody gang we're all wounded we're all wounded people Zacchaeus included Jimmy Young included, we're all wounded people and some people have concluded that the way to heal their inner woundedness is via money. You know, uh, things and toys and stuff. In an effort to fill up an inner vacuum, we give ourselves to certain occupations or pursuits in the hopes that we can fill up that vacuum that exists within us. Now, gang, I'm simply suggesting that that's so true of the 21st century, and I'm guessing that it's not much different than Zacchaeus' day. We think that wealth will do something good for us, but unless it is rightly understood, it'll do something bad to us. There's been many a soul, ladies and gentlemen, that has been damaged or even ruined because wealth has increased. And I'm suggesting this morning that what drove Zacchaeus, that, that wee little man was the delusional power that has deluded some of us. Now, that's a little bit about uh, Zacchaeus. In the midst of this story, Jesus comes to town. He comes to Jericho. And if you ever visit Jericho, they have a tree there in Jericho that they uh, assure you that is the tree that Zacchaeus climbed up. That means that tree is, you know... Some 2,000 years old. And none of us believe that, but we took pictures of it anyway. Um, but uh, it's right there in Jericho, right there on the corner. Um, but anyway, Jesus passes by that spot. And uh, I want you to note that in this story, ladies and gentlemen, something that I think is pretty significant, it is that Jesus is, it, Jesus is the one that's doing the initiating. That is, Jesus is the one that goes after Zacchaeus. It's not the other way around. Zacchaeus is not up in that tree crying out, David, or Jesus, son of David, have mercy upon me. He's just gawking at this passerby. And it is Jesus that initiates this relationship. And secondly, notice this. Jesus passes by the rest of that other crowd, the uh, the religious crowd, that was very quick and very eager to condemn Zacchaeus, the sinner. Uh, They say that in verse 7. There he goes again, that prophet from Nazareth. Here he goes. He's going to go over to the house and eat dinner with a sinner. Jesus passes by those folks. To go reach out to a guy up in a tree. It's always like that, ladies and gentlemen. It's always like that. In fact, ladies and gentlemen, I can tell you that religious folk are much further away from Jesus and in far more danger than those who recognize how sinful they are. It's always like you find it in the the, the parable of the prodigal son. Who was it that was more separated from the father? The prodigal or the elder brother? It's obvious that it was the elder brother who had the sense that his father owed him something. He had a sense that I've been here and I've earned what I've gotten. And, and uh, you know, you deserve, I mean, you, you owe me a big fatted calf to kill too. Jesus always passes by those folks. He passes by the religious crowd that is so eager to condemn Zacchaeus. And he heads to the one who is uh, very aware, apparently, that what he, uh, his whole lifestyle was denounced by God. Now, guys, the real interesting part of this story, at least for me, was the impact that this meeting made on Zacchaeus. And that's really what I hope you'll leave with this morning is the impact of Zacchaeus or that meeting Jesus made on Zacchaeus. It is noteworthy, I think, that the first recorded words that come out of Zacchaeus's mouth have to do with his money. You remember about five minutes ago, I said that one of the early foundational truths that we have got to learn, as the people of God, has to do with our view of money. Well, here's Zacchaeus. Immediately upon meeting the Savior, the first thing that pops out of his mouth has to do with his money. Now, that's not going to be true of Everybody. But it will be often true, I think, because the issue, the issue is always, ladies and gentlemen, the issue is not money. The issue is what is our idol? And in our culture, the idol so often, so frequently, is money. And so, you see, in this occasion of meeting with Jesus, the first thing that he knows that he's got to deal with, the first thing that Zacchaeus deals with, is his relationship to his wealth. And I want you to notice his response. He doesn't say, uh, you know, Jesus, I I commit myself to become a little bit more charitable, uh, and a whole lot more, uh, I'll buy a whole lot more Girl Scout cookies. He immediately offers fifty percent of his uh, of his income. Fifty percent. Now wait a minute. Wait just a second. Aren't you out there believing that the standard is ten percent? Isn't that what you were taught? Well, Zacchaeus is offering fifty percent. Not only that, he goes on to offer restitution. He says, "If I'll give half my goods to the poor, and if I've taken anything from anyone by false accusation, I'll restore fourfold. Now, you may not be as familiar with this, but the Old Testament requirement was 120% restitution. Zacchaeus offers 400% restitution. He goes way beyond, that is, Zacchaeus goes way beyond what is required of him. And, and there, I'm reading this into the text, I, I admit that, but it's so spontaneous. There's a certain excitement about what he's doing. Jesus doesn't say, by the way, now that you're converted, Zacchaeus, by the way, he does say that in verse 10. Uh, now that you're converted, let's talk about your money. He's not the one that initiates that. Jesus, uh, Zacchaeus does, it's spontaneous, there's a certain excitement about it in his voice. It's almost like, Jesus, uh, I, would this please you? I give to the poor, and if I've I've falsified any, you know, if I've gotten money falsely in any way, I'll restore it 400%. There seems to be on the part of this newly converted man and an excitement about responding to Jesus in this way. Now, wouldn't that be refreshing to see? Wouldn't that be refreshing among the people of God? Excitement and and, um, spontaneity and... um, and enjoyment in in the in the act of giving. Yeah, it would be refreshing, ladies and gentlemen. But I want to suggest to you, it also raises a couple of questions. Now, remember, think with me. Remember the story of the rich young ruler? Remember that story? Uh, Matthew 10? Rich young ruler comes to Jesus and, uh, you know, uh, Jesus uh, would... Um, What do I have to do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus says this, this, this. He said, well, I've already done all that. And Jesus says, okay, one more thing. Go and sell all you have and come and follow me. And Richard says, no, I can't do that. And he turns and leaves. In that story, the demand was 100%. It seems to me, if I understand what the Old Testament teaches, the demand is 10%. In this story of Zacchaeus, it's 50%. Now, which is it? That, ladies and gentlemen, brings me to the real heart of what I want to say this morning. The real point of what I'm getting at this morning, and I hope you'll leave with You know, in in the evangelical world, the people who make up the evangelical world, they want to know what's the standard. They ask me that frequently. What's the standard? Would you just uh, uh, give us the rules, Jimmy? Could you you possibly explain the principles to us? Uh, Could you just tell me the passable minimums? But Jesus has a way of sizing up what's in your heart, which is what he's after all the time, ladies and gentlemen. You want me to tell you the law. And Jesus is after your idols. What you want me to do is is to make it specific. You want me to specify in such a way that you can rise to the occasion, meet whatever standard that Jimmy Young says is biblical, and then you can quiet every clamoring of your heart and soul. And um, I say to you, ladies and gentlemen, that that's not what Jesus is after. He's after something far more precious, far bigger than your money. He is after the things that have become idols in your life. Things that in addition to Jesus, you think you have to have to be happy. And whatever those things are, they're going to have to go. I don't know what they are for you, I know what they are for me. But I can say this, I bet you a lot of us share one. It's the desire to control our circumstances because we're so blasted scared. We're so blasted insecure and so wounded. That what we try to do is organize a set of circumstances that allow us to control our future. And we think that our money will do that. That our money will give us a sense of control over our circumstances. And I am here to tell you, ladies and gentlemen, that. Is what he's after. You know, there's a whole lot of institutions out there that are after your money. Maybe Gracie Van is too. Maybe that's all I'm doing. But Jesus is not after your money. He doesn't need it. But he is got his finger on. Those things that you think that you've got to have, in addition to Jesus, to be happy. Whatever it is. For Zacchaeus, this wee little man who had money, when he met Jesus Christ, his relationship to his money totally changed. Now, ladies and gentlemen, mark this down. Grace always changes your view of your money. Grace always changes one's view of his money. Because grace begins to command my life, my money is transformed. By his grace. When when grace sets you free from your idols, whatever your idols are, uh, money or whatever, when grace sets you free from it, having tasted the beauty of grace, then you begin to say, I can't wait to push way beyond the minimums. Because now my prized possession is my relationship to Jesus Christ. Once you taste of grace and the deliciousness of that taste, ladies and gentlemen, then everything else tastes bland. What Jesus has done for me, like Zacchaeus, is Far more lovely to me than that wad of $100 bills I've got in my pocket. What could be more beautiful than forgiveness? You know, the scripture says, how, how blessed is the man whose sin is forgiven. What could be more beautiful, ladies and gentlemen, than the realization that my sin is forgiven? And that when I die, I will not answer. I will not perish because of my sin. What could be more beautiful than meaning? What could be more beautiful than being satisfied in the provisions of God for us? Once I taste grace, then everything else tastes pretty bland. Now, guys, if you are here this morning and if you think that all this talk about giving away 10 percent or 20 percent or 50 percent or 100 percent or whatever uh, of my income is absurd. Then the chances are pretty good that what you have tasted in the past is performance, religion, not Christianity. And I don't blame you. I agree with you. That's got a real bitter taste to it. There, there, um, there's a lot of ways, ladies and gentlemen that I can see where you would uh, respond negatively because it's just one more attempt at people taking your money your what I'm saying ladies and gentlemen is if that's what you, if that's what you have in your your mind and heart and soul then I think what you probably tasted is something that's ingenuine and false But if you have ever come in contact with the beauty of grace, you have been overtaken by its sweetness. And then money gets put in its place. Gang, if you walk away from here this morning feeling guilty, then you've misunderstood what I've said. I am not here to do that. What I'm saying is what could be sweeter what could be sweeter than the discovery that I am far more wicked I am far more evil I am far more sinful than I ever dreamed but I'm also far more loved far more forgiven far more accepted than I ever dared hope that ladies and gentlemen is grace grace changes everything it changes my outlook on everything and you see that illustrated in the in the story of Zacchaeus that's what grace does it replaces a bad value system with a good one it sweeps away all of those it calls away all of that stuff that is unessential and replaces it with that which is meaningful And when grace is understood, then there's no more quibbling about percentages. Because we're eager to push by what's required and respond to the grace that we've received. Okay, Jimmy. In the face of all that, I'm confused. Tell me how I should give. I'll say two things. Number one, don't give mechanically. Secondly, go gaze again. Go gaze again at the Savior. Go drink deeply at the fountain of His forgiveness. And then you and God figure it out. That's giving that's full of grace. That's the only kind that matters. That's good. Our Father, I do pray that your word will direct your people, That what uh, that my comments have been consistent with it, and that you'll use my comments to elucidate this story in such a way that people will walk out refreshed, refreshed in the knowledge that grace changes everything that that being swept into the kingdom of God by the amazing grace of God makes me into a new creature from top to bottom and everything about me takes on a different sense of significance and priority father forgive us that we have believed the delusional lies the seductive power of money And for so long have tried to encircle ourselves with things that will make us feel in control and happy. Father, there's a sense in which the economic downturn of this country is a real good thing. Because we can't lean on our portfolios like we used to. We all have to lean On the promises of God. Father, there's something altogether beautiful about your people leaning and trusting in your promises. And I pray, Father, that more and more we'll discover that our blessing is to be found not in increasing prosperity, our blessing is to be found in knowing you. For in your presence, is fullness of joy. Forgive us of our idols, Father. Slay them. Slay them as we sit here and replace them with hunger for righteousness. We ask it, of course, in Jesus' name.